Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to open them up to Psalm 46, or you can turn to page 471 in the Pew Bibles. I've been going to church all of my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a PCA church. And um, I remember as a child not being able to make sense of church. In some ways, not being able to make sense of sermons. I actually remember um, being kind of down and disappointed and bummed out when it was time for the sermon to come. When it comes to church, you're, you're often told to quiet, quiet down, quiet down, you know. We're coming to meet with God. We've got, to, we've got to change the way that we're living. One of the things that's a great privilege of ours when we're around our friends and our families is to be able to be real with them. When you're meeting people that you don't know, you have to be fake. And um, we hate being fake, but we've gotten to be pretty good at it. And when you come to church, you have to be fake too. Sometimes you're even instructed by the leaders of the church to be fake. To go ahead and, and quiet down. Don't pretend there's no chaos in your life. Pretend there's... There's nothing that's worrying you or concerning you. God wants to talk to you. He doesn't care what's going on Monday through Saturday. He's got something important to say to you on Sunday, and it's disconnected from the rest of your lives. No one wants to worship a God like that. No one wants to hear from a God like that. In this passage today, there's a verse that many of you have probably committed to memory. It's the verse, be still and know that I am God. We're often told to be still and we can say it in a lot of neat, catchy ways with different kind of levels of emotion. We can weight different words in, in, the, in that phrase in order to be still. You know, you just got to be still, got to calm down and know. Wouldn't it be great if we could? Wouldn't it be great if we could just calm ourselves down and we could turn the fakeness into reality and we could have our lives together? But that's not the God of the Bible. He doesn't relate to us that way. And what I want to say is we have a great privilege this morning that the God of the Bible not only cares what happens on Sunday, but he cares about what happens Monday through Saturday as well. And that the God of the Bible doesn't call us to be fake, but he actually engages us in the midst of our anxiety and our fear and our chaos. And his desire is to be real with us, that we might be real with him. If you're someone who whose life is chaotic, who, who deals with fear and anxiety, and who doesn't have it all together, then I'll ask you to hear from the God who cares for you. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 
The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God shall stand forever. Let's ask our God to open up His Word to us this morning that we might behold marvelous things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are the Word. You're the living Word. And we pray that You, as our prophet, would open up the living and active written Word of God to us this morning. That we might not leave here the way that we've come. That we might have hope for the anxiety and the chaos and the fear of our lives. That we might be confronted with and leave with Your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last couple of years, our family, I guess I should say our daughter Wells, who's seven years old, and our son Simeon, who's three, have developed a great love for fish. The reason that we've developed a great love for fish would kind of be clued in by the name of our first fish, which was Nemo. Nemo did not stay with us very long. He didn't. His life did not end the way the movie Nemo's life ended. Um, but we love we, they kind of love fish. Partly because they love to watch Finding Nemo all the time. So we'll put Finding Nemo on in the, in the, in the living room, in the den, and they'll be watching the movie. Wells, she loves it. She, she, she kind of almost has this movie, I think, memorized to some degree. Simeon, he doesn't love it. Simeon has seen the movie all the way through numerous times. He knows every part of the movie, and he's certainly aware of how the movie ends. But when I walk through the den and I watch him watching this movie, it's not uncommon to hear Simeon begin to talk back to the movie, to begin to, to express great discomfort and great anxiety over the movie. It's not uncommon to see his body begin to convulse and tears begin to pour down his cheeks. It, and on the one hand, it, it's somewhat comical because I, because I hear Wells say, Simeon, it's okay. It's just a movie. It's just Finding Nemo. It's just a movie. You know how it ends. Nemo's going to be okay. He's going to be fine, Simeon. The shark's not going to get him. But he's just, he's at a loss. He's overwhelmed. He's undone. What I want to suggest to you this morning is, is that for some of us, um, we, kinda, we can definitely relate with Simeon. If Simeon could change this movie, if he could control it and change the script, I believe he would. Even though he knows how it ends, he would change the movie. He wants to be in control, but he knows he's not. And for some of us, we're just like that. We know that we're not in control, and we wish that we were. We wish that we could control and govern the circumstances and the nature of our life, because if we could, then we wouldn't have to deal with the fear and the anxiety and chaos that is ours. There's others of us here this morning who actually believe we're deceived into believing that we are in control. But every now and then, and probably more than that, we get a glimpse that we're not in control. 
We find out in, in this passage this morning that we're not in control, whether you think you are or you think you're not. You're not, but there is one who is. And the question we have to ask this morning is, is there any hope for our fears? Is there any hope for us who are believers of the Christian faith? We're like Simeon. We know how the story ends. But we're still afraid. We're still anxious, even when we know how the story ends. Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for people whose lives are filled with fear? The psalmist this morning tells us there's great hope. The sons of Korah remind us that there is hope in God alone. That our only hope is in Jesus Christ alone. But unless God comes to us by His grace this morning, unless these words take life, and they are living and active, unless these words of truth and this hope is more than just an intellectual knowledge, but rather it's a knowledge that grips our hearts, we'll leave here unchanged. But God's desire this morning is to point us towards a real, active, and living hope. But I want us to kind of kind of uncover or, or to begin to unpack this psalm together. I mean, why is it that we fear? Why are we afraid if we are afraid? Well, in verse 1, the sons of Korah, they begin to write, they say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. They immediately introduce this concept of trouble. They say, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. They begin to, to unpack the first reason why it is that we're afraid. We're afraid because we don't control nature. We don't control weather. We don't control the earth around us. I mean, this is a time of year that we're, we're made painfully aware of this truth with all the hurricane season and all the fear. We, Kendall and I lived on the East Coast. We've lived in Charleston. Kendall's been through Hurricane Hugo. It doesn't take anything. There's nothing like a hurricane to make you aware that you don't control nature. And in this particular psalm, the sons of Korah are describing the most overwhelming, the most unbelievable, the most terrifying type of nature that they could ever witness. It's the mountains, which are the most well-known place of safety, a place of security. They're being moved. They're falling in to the heart of the sea. You see, the mountains were known to be that foundation, that place that protected people from water, but also held up the sky from falling down upon God's people. And now even the mountains are in a place of safety. Back in the spring, we were going to go out to Red Hot and Blue with some students one evening. And on this particular evening, we heard the, the tornado sirens going off. And I was kind of wondering whether or not we should venture out from the house. And of course, we decided that that would be a great idea to venture out because they're only fooling you. There's not actually a tornado coming. And I know a lot about weather and I can control it. I have complete control of my automobile as we're on the, the roadways. And so we got out and we got to the red light at Barry and 8th Avenue. And I began to think that this may not have been the most wise decision. As rain was pelting the windshield, we weren't even moving and I couldn't see in front of me. And there were numerous signs that had been blown over. But we continued to venture down Barry. This particular time, the construction was underway and there were barrels that were blowing in front of the car. And I think the kids in the back were white knuckled and scared. I was trying to act as though I wasn't scared. And finally, I looked at Kendall and I said, we've got to get off of this road. I didn't laugh about it. I was trying to, to be in control, but she knew I was terrified. So we, we turned down this, the street by the Grand Mark, which is this big apartment 
um, condo complex next to uh, TCU. And thankfully, the parking garage was open and we darted in there. I really didn't even want to get out of the car because I saw the wind and the rain were even blowing inside the, uh, the parking garage. The power was out there. This is a scary moment. We're made aware of first reason the psalmist tells us that we're afraid is because we can't control even the weather or nature. But it's not just bad weather and bad nature that scares us. If you look in verse 6, he tells us a second reason. It's because there are bad people. We can't control them either. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. As we look around the world, we're, we're aware not only of hurricanes, but we're also aware of terrorism and all of the bad people that seem to, to take advantage of the others on, on this globe. I mean, I imagine that most of you here lock your doors on your house. Why do you lock your doors? Keep your friends out? No, we lock our doors because we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our families. We lock our car doors so that we're not carjacked. A lot of you in the room probably have home security systems, and we set the alarm on our, on our home security system so that people don't break in, so that we're not harmed. I, wouldn't, I don't want to suggest to you that we shouldn't do these things, but if you would say that your life is not governed or shaped by fear, then you'd be lying. Because we do these things, because we live in a world that is characterized by fear, and our lives are responding to that very fear. Because there are bad people in this world. And so the sons of Korah are saying, they're afraid. They're in control. They can't control anything. They can't control the weather. They can't control the people. But there's a third reason, and it's really unpacked in verses 7 and 11 around a character. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then that same stanza is repeated again in verse 11. There's a third reason that we're afraid. It has not to do with nature, has not to do with the other people, but it has to do with ourselves. Abraham is the great patriarch of the Old Testament, and he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had two sons. His oldest son was Esau, his youngest son was Jacob. The name Jacob means deceiver or liar. Jacob lived a life of lies. Jacob conned his brother out of his birthright, and he stole the blessing that his father Isaac thought he was giving to his son Esau. He stole this blessing from his father. His, his blind and dying father asked him, who are you? And he said he was Esau. And then Esau was angry and Jacob went on the run and he took advantage even of his father-in-law. His whole life was characterized by fear, anxiety, and lying. And one day Jacob gets a message that Esau, his brother, whom he stole the birthright from, wants to meet with him. He sends his family away. And he's filled with fear. He spends the night, it seems, alone by himself. Sometimes read this passage in Genesis 32 because something amazing happens. The great God comes to meet with him. Our God, the Lord God, comes to meet with Jacob. Really not so much meet with him, but to wrestle with him. And they begin to wrestle. And they continue to wrestle. And God says, Jacob, let me go. And Jacob says, no, he won't let him go until God blesses him. And God takes his hand and he puts it in the socket of Jacob's hip and he cripples Jacob. But Jacob won't let him go. You see, Jacob's father gave him his blessing and his brother gave him his birthright. 
but neither of them was able to tap into his guilty, shameful, fearful soul. And Jacob says, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God asked Jacob the same question that his father Isaac had asked him years before. He says, what is your name? And it would seem almost for the first time in Jacob's life, he tells the truth. He says, my name is Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. And God says, no longer shall your name be Jacob, but your name shall be Israel. The name which means he struggles with God. The very name of God's people. You see, Jacob helps us to understand this third reason for our fear. It's not nature or other people, but it's ourselves. It's because we realize that we are a mess. That our lives are not together. That we've tried to fill ourselves up with so many things that would satisfy us and make us whole. And none of them have worked. Trimper Longman and Dan Allender talk about fear this way. They say, fear is provoked when the threat of danger exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. What is it that you most deeply cherish? We cherish our safety. We cherish our security. We cherish the praise and the respect of others. We cherish our reputation. We buy into all these things. We believe that money can buy us happiness, can buy us stability. We believe that our achievement can accomplish for us what nothing else can do. Our beauty and our fitness. Maybe it's our social network or group. And none of these things do it. They all leave us filled still with fear and shame and guilt. And then we come to that crossroads of our spirituality, of our morality, our standing before God. And we realize there's no hope for us there either. Because there's nothing that we can do to coerce or manipulate or merit God's goodness or grace. There's nothing we can do. So here's the question. What can you, what can I, what can we do about our fear? The answer is nothing. We can do nothing about our fear. But the wonder of the passage is that there is one who can. You see, the psalmist, the sons of Korah, remind us that our strength is not in ourselves. But verse 1 reminds us that God is our refuge and our strength. That He is a very present help in trouble. In trouble. Though nature is spinning out of control, though there are bad people in the world, even though our lives are completely and utterly a wreck and a mess, there is hope for people whose lives are filled with fear. And our hope is in God. Look in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. One of my favorite hymns is A Mighty Fortress. And in that great hymn written by Martin Luther built and based around this particular psalm, we hear, we, we sing that, that line, Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same. And that is the name that we, we come across here in verse 7. The Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth. It's the mighty warrior name for God. It's, it's the name that reminds us that the great King above all gods has all power at His fingertips. That though we're not in control and the earth seems to be spinning out of control, God is in control. He's not afraid. He's not uncertain. He is utterly and completely in control of all things. He's the mighty warrior God who defends us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob 
is our fortress. This same God that had compassion upon Jacob, this same merciful and gracious God, He is our God as well. He loves and delights to show His mercy to sinners, the people who don't have it together. And the psalmist says the reason that there's hope is because He's with us. I told you at the very beginning that Simeon hates to watch Finding Nemo. But there's only one thing I've found that, that may at times and often does kind of calm his fears. It's not reminding him about how the movie ends. It's me coming and sitting down beside him. It's me taking him in my arms and telling him, we're going to watch it together. It's okay, Simeon. It's okay, I'm here. That's the same thing that we need. You see, the hope that is ours in the Gospel is that the God of the Bible is not a God who stands at arm's length. He's the God who is with us. The very Emmanuel principle. It's the, it's the wonder of Jesus in the very beginning that He took on flesh and that He came to be with us. He didn't come to be with people who had it together. He came to be with people who didn't have it together. He came to bring sinners to salvation. How did God free Jacob from his fear? He came to him. He came to him and he wrestled him. Jacob was deeply afraid that Esau was going to take his life. And God came to Jacob. And He asked him, Who are you? And Jacob says, I'm the person who is completely a mess. And I don't have it together. And what did God do? He blessed him. He freed Jacob in a very real sense from his fear. And we find out that that's what God has done with us. The son of Jacob who is also the God of Jacob, the Lord Jesus, came to be with us. We read this in the Gospels. We find out from Genesis 3 that this is the plan of God from the very beginning. That God would send this great offspring, this seed, the son of Jacob, the God of Jacob, to come and to be with us. He came to be with us so that He could take all of our messiness upon Himself. So that He could take all of our sin upon Himself. That He might be our mighty warrior. That He might be, indeed, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Sabaoth. That He might defeat our enemies. That He might defeat the power of Satan and sin that's ruling and reigning in our lives. And we find out in this passage that He does. He does for people like Jacob who tell the truth. Who don't find their hope and their salvation in and of themselves, but they find their hope only in God alone. In the work of Christ. That's what's so marvelous about Christianity. I was talking with a girl this this past year at Greystone, and she had a real problem with the gospel. She didn't like Christianity because it seemed to be so exclusive, and she was torn over heaven and hell and all these things that deal with eternal matters. And her life was completely in the tank. And I was trying to explain to her the gospel and the wonder of grace, but she had, she had nothing. She didn't want to have any of it. And I said, Well, if you, you care for these other religions, I want to tell you something. You better start working harder. You better start getting your life together. Because I I don't want to be ugly, but to be frank, your life is a complete mess. And none of these other religions are going to want to have anything to do with you. Because they all demand righteousness by merit. It's only by status. It's only by what you bring to the table. I said, that's why I love Christianity, because my life is a mess. And that's what's so unbelievable about the gospel. Is that the the God of the Bible, He doesn't love people who have it together. He loves people whose lives are a mess. And not because of my words, but because of God's goodness. She broke down and she realized, I think for the first time, the wonder and the beauty of the Gospel. There is refuge from our fear. 
There is hope for us. Our hope is in God alone. Last thing. So how are we going to respond to this truth? How do we respond to the fact that there is hope, that there is this this refuge from our fear? Well, the sons of Korah tell us in in verse eight, they say, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth, how he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. They say, come and behold, come, take a look again. Remember what you've forgotten. You have you know how the story ends. You know the goodness of God. He is the God who's with you. There is no reason to fear. And then in verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. This is not so much a kind word. Be still. Get a Hallmark card out. Take a minute. Take a breath. Get a little something to drink. We'll calm down a little bit. No, it means be quiet. Be quiet. Quiet yourself. Just for one moment, be quiet. So that you can hear from God. Because all your talking and all your worries and all your anxiety is drowning out the grace that is yours. Be quiet and know that He is God. That He's the real God. The great King above all gods. That He's the God of the Bible. The God who loves people like Jacob. The God who loves people like you. And what results from our being quiet, I think, is described in verses 4 and 5. It says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In the midst of the chaos of nature, in the midst of the chaos of bad people and ourselves, there is, there is there's peace and there's refuge. And the refuge is in God alone. This picture of this city, this holy habitation is a picture of God with His people. And this river is a reminder that God is a God of blessing. That He loves to bless us. That He blesses us as we stop and are quiet. He blesses us as we behold the wonder of His grace. That's the God of the Bible. One of our other favorite movies in our family is Annie. It was a Broadway play. It's the movie Annie. And and if you've ever watched this movie or if you've ever seen the play then you might not remember how the movie ends. But at the end of the movie, uh, Mrs. Hannigan decides that she's going to cheat and connive and find her way to get this reward that Daddy Warbucks has set for whoever Annie's parents are. Annie is an orphan, and Daddy Warbucks has decided that he's going to give her a reward for any information if her family, her mom and dad, can be located. So Mrs. Hannigan connives, and she gets Rooster and Lily to come and to pretend that they're Annie's Parents. And then, of course, that, that danger scene sets in at the end where it looks like Rooster is going to kill Annie. And at the end of the movie, of course, Punjab saves Annie and everybody's going to live happily ever after. But there's one part of that movie that's really troubling to me. Because if you notice who's at the celebration, Miss Hannigan is there. Not only is she there, but she's riding on this this elephant at this great celebration, as though she has this position of power, and Punjab is holding her hand. How can that be? Mrs. Hannigan is the very one who instigated this whole problem. She's the one that tried to, to deceive Daddy Warbucks. If we're honest, we don't want Miss Hannigan there. We want her in jail. We want her to pay the price. She's been nothing but mean throughout the whole movie. And yet, my friends, until you come to the reality that if you were to, were to find the person in this movie 
who is like you, it wouldn't be Annie and it wouldn't be Daddy Warbucks, it would be Mrs. Hannigan. This room's filled with a lot of Mrs. Hannigans. Until you understand that the very essence of the gospel is that God came in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus to give love to sinners, to show his mercy and grace to people like you and me, there will be no hope for you. Is there hope for our fear? Is there hope for the chaos and the anxiety of our lives? There is, but it's not in ourselves. It's in our admission that we don't have it together and that we're not good enough in our running to Christ. Our only hope is in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there's hope. We fear nature. We fear people. We fear our own sin. But there's grace in our Lord Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Lord, enable us to run to him. If you have drawn us a thousand times, Lord, draw us again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Won't you chase my fears away?